0: Do I still sound like an angel, gentlemen?
1: This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jammer link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jammer. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages Equascript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code JavaScriptJabber, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 171 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel we have Amy Knight. Hello. Joe Eames. Skype hates Joe Eames. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Provo for one of the
0: last times in a long time.
1: Dave Smith. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Uh, Jameson's not here, so I'm just going to mention it for him. React Rally, go check it out. Uh, we, also, we also have a special guest this week, and that's Sebastian McKenzie. Hey. you want to introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Uh, my name is Sebastian McKenzie from Australia. I made some JavaScript thing that people use.
1: It's JavaScript thing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> That's being modest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are like two people use it.
3: <laughs> I like JavaScript <laughs> things.
1: <laughs> uh, so you no. want to introduce us to Babel real quick? Or do you yes. call it Babel? Yeah, Babel could first, you just, could you just set the record in. state
4: and
2: tell us how to pronounce it? Yeah, it's Babel. I didn't think it was going to be like so much controversy over how the name's pronounced, but...
3: Why is it Babel? That's what I want to
2: know. As in, like, the origin of the name Babel?
3: Yeah. Why, um, why do you pronounce it Babel, not Babel? No,
2: I think
4: it means the origin of the pronunciation. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, origin of <laughs> pronunciation, yeah. kind of
2: superficial here. Yes. I don't know. It, it seems like random people either pronounce it Babel or Babel, depending... Like it, It's not even regional. Like, I've found, like, some Americans will pronounce it Babel or Babel or, like, yeah I don't know it's just that's just how I pronounce it so
4: <laughs> does anyone pronounce it six to five <laughs>
3: <laughs> So I got a funny story about the pronunciation. I thought, of course, like the tower it was you know named after the tower, of course, so yep. I grown up pronouncing it Babel, and I'm telling other people, no, it's pronounced Babel, that's how you pronounce the tower and I actually somebody looked it up at the dictionary and like Both pronunciations are acceptable in the I don't know, Oxford English dictionary. It says both Babel and Babel work. And I had no idea.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like that a lot of people are like, oh that's how isn't that how the Tower of is pronounced? I'm like, no, I pronounce it Tower of Babel.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So there are people out there that pronounce it the Tower of Babel, which is obviously wrong because I pronounce it Babel. (laughs) <laughs> but it, I was so shocked to find out that like my pronunciation wasn't the one blessed pronunciation of the Tower of Babel. <laughs> All
1: right, let's see if you can hear this. This is off of uh, Marian Webster. Babel. So Marian Webster says Babel. Okay. What? Well, enough about Does, that. It doesn't so so important things facing the JavaScript community today. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You know what? This is actually a really big deal because I was recording a course on Webpack, and Babel is a huge part of that. And I recorded half the course pronouncing it Babel and had to go back and just splice in the word Babel in like 25 places.
5: That's hilarious.
1: Yeah. It took, How it took you- like two hours. I can, I can totally see you just prepping for those outtakes. Babel, 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 Babel,
2: Babel. Oh yeah, I was gonna ask about the the outtakes, whether or not you had just spliced in like a single sample of you said. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the same.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, it was a film of very obviously yeah. the same clip over and over again.
1: And and here we're gonna splice in
3: babble. <laughs> <laughs> the volume's wrong, and the pitch is all wrong. I recorded it early in the morning when my voice was all husky. Just get someone else to say the word for
4: you. Yeah, <laughs>
3: even better, Dave Smith saying <sighs> babble.
4: Well, I'm glad we had the show. That was good. Should we wrap it up? (laughs)
3: That's pretty much the one thing. Other than that, everybody uses it, so I think we could be done.
4: Yeah. No. no. So I'm sure most of our audience already knows what it is, but why don't you give us a very brief overview of what Babbel is and And why it would benefit us. Yeah, maybe a little history for fun.
2: All right. So Babbel started off as a project called 6to5. So I basically started this Project 6 to 5 because I realized there was a lot of like gaps in my knowledge of various computer science-y stuff. So I didn't know how parsers worked. I didn't know how compilers worked. And I also, I was familiar with JavaScript. I knew JavaScript, but there was this new thing coming out called ES6, and I didn't know anything about that. So I kind of started like really low level where I decided I wanted to learn about this stuff. So I kind of combined it all together. And decided, hey, could I transpile ES6 into ES5? Like, I want to use these features. I want to know how they work. How can I do this? So I kind of started really low level where I would take these like really, really simple ES6 features and compile them down. And then, yeah, so it just started off as a learning project. Um then people started using it. There was like barely any features and then people started using it. So I had to like build up the support and then it's, as in where it currently stands, it supports the whole range of ES6 syntax. So it started to build up. People started using it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a real thing. (laughs) And then like, I, I realized that the name six to five wasn't really very like forward thinking. So like once ES6 was like commonplace, it would have to be like seven to six, but then and seven to five (laughs) yeah it was seven to five and then like no it's 2015 to
1: five
2: yeah exactly like they renamed es6 to es2015 and so it'd have to be es2015 to five and then like yeah the name is just like so basing if you're going to start a project don't base like on version numbers that's just like so dumb um in hindsight but and so then it was renamed to Babel. And kind of with the rename became Babel, we started becoming much more generic in what it did. So instead of just being like a uniquely AS6 to 5 compiler, um, it added support for plugins. So it became, yeah, just a more general JavaScript compiler. So eventually in the future, Babel will be able to do stuff like minification, optimizations, and all stuff like that. And you'll basically be able to just plug in these transformers that transform your code in specific ways just by installing an NPM module and specifying it in your config.
4: That is that, so cool. I just love it. You are inspiring. I just want to make sure everyone caught that. That The reason he wrote Babel, or 6 to 5, was because he didn't know how to do it. Not because he was already an expert. I mean, that is just so cool, Sebastian. My hat's off to you.
2: Thanks.
1: <laughs> so on a project like this, where do you start?
2: When I started, there was like, there's a whole bunch of like, libraries relating to this. Um so I kinda of just like hodgepodge them together. I didn't really understand how they worked. But then as the project kind of grew, I like rewrote those libraries um and kind of like slowly replaced other people's code with my own. It seems like most projects kind of go in the other direction. But like it's mainly just like I wanted to learn about this stuff and what better way to kind of write it yourself.
4: So uh what's uh, the state of Babel now? You mentioned that it's implemented almost all or all of the ES6 feature set?
2: Um, yeah, so it supports the entire range of syntax. Eventually, in the uh, in the next major version, um, there's kind of going to be a big push out into these plugins. And so, like this plugin ecosystem, I think is going to be a big thing that kind of separates Babel from anything else. Like, I hear about other compilers or transpilers like TypeScript or Traceur. I don't like using the word competitor in like the open source space, but I don't really see those projects as competitors because Babel's scope is kind of much different. Its utility is much different compared to the other tools out there.
5: So I had a quick question as we're talking about the supported features. How does Babel line up with the TC39 process?
2: Yep. So as in like how proposals are kind of developed in tandem or...
5: Yeah, how do, you de- how do you decide what you want to support based on the process of things going through TC39?
2: Yep, so I'll just give a bit of background on like the TC39 stage process. So the TC39 committee, when a proposal is put forth for standardization, um, there's a series of stages that it has to go through from zero being like just anybody has just written a proposal to uh, stage four, where it's in the language it's been standardized and it's absolutely going to be included and so each one of these stages um signifies something so stage one um it's being kind of accepted by the tc39 for more investigation stage two is it has um multiple vendors have implemented it so multiple browsers i I might be kind of wrong with these because i'm just but this is kind of like the spread out of each stage uh, and stage three is it's kind of being accepted. Uh, it's still in the draft stage. And then yeah, stage four is where it's being completely finalized. Babel by default has stage two proposals and above um enabled by default. Now that doesn't signify that the stage two and stage three stuff will be, it is absolutely guaranteed for inclusion. But in order to kind of promote experimentation with those features, then they kind of have to have users and, it's much easier for people to use it if it's enabled by default, I guess. Um, and so stage zero proposals implemented in Babel, they're just behind a flag. They're kind of subject to change and you probably shouldn't be using them in production code, but you can, if you want, I guess, you just have to be wary that if it gets rejected, then it's probably going to go away.
1: You said that it implements all the features of ES 2015. Are there any features that just can't be transpiled?
2: I guess there's kind of varying levels. Um, so there's some things that Babel just can't transpile. It can't implement every single kind of like edge case or semantic. So for example, like arrow functions people see as like being a very kind of straightforward thing to transpile, like, oh, it's just a function, this and arguments reference like the outer function. What's well, kind of not so simple. Um you can't, for instance, um construct an arrow function. So you can't do um new foo, where foo may be an error function. And so these sorts of things you can't really like transpile, at least not in a, like a practical way. Since like if you really want to care about performance um, and you really want to care about code size and you kind of have to make some of those sacrifices, it might not necessarily mean just making it. It's a deliberate choice. It might just be that there's kind of no way to implement those semantics in ES5. Since if something is just syntax sugar for something else, if it can be directly compiled and have all the exact same semantics, then there might not be reason enough for it to actually be in the language itself. If it can be expressed in a different way very easily.
3: So like things like uh, weak maps come kind of to mind. What about that?
2: Yeah. So weak maps and proxies are like, they're both two great examples of stuff. So they're more like runtime things. Like they're not really syntax. But yeah, so they implement semantics that absolutely have to be implemented at the engine level. Since there, like, you could actually like compile proxies, but the transformation would be much more intrusive. Um, Weak maps, like, you can't really do anything since they rely on like direct access to the garbage collector and stuff like that.
3: Now, I had always heard and thought that one of the big reasons for Babel was the fact that the output of Tracer was just so unreadable, and Babel always had a goal of producing readable code so that it was easier to reason and to understand the code that was produced by the transpiler. Is that true?
2: Yeah, I guess like that was like the really big thing when 6.5 was released. Um, that was kind of one of the things that set it apart. That's not to say that the output isn't readable now. I just, other priorities have shifted above just readable output. If you're just focusing on readable output, you're making way too many sacrifices on stuff like code size and performance. Um, Since you can output more performant code, it'll just be like longer or the code, like it might not be as readable. And so at the time it kind of made sense, but now it's just like, you really shouldn't be like reading your compiled code anyway. That's kind of just what it comes down to. There's kind of a lot of magic that goes on under the hood in like compilers, uh transpilers. And so you might look at something and think, oh, that's wrong. But actually, if you just like change one little tiny thing, it can completely change the way that the code is transformed in output.
3: So it was a kind of a goal initially, but not so much later on.
2: Yeah, basically, like it came more down to it. Would you care more about your code being pretty or your code being as fast as possible?
3: So do you usually like have a balance between readability and performance? Or do you almost always go for
2: performance? It's basically always put. Per- For performance. There's always gonna be ways in which you can make the performance code much nicer. And it kind of depends on what you mean by like your generated code being nicer. Most of the time it just like just have to put more effort into it. Like you have to add in more conditionals that checks like specific structure of the original code. Since there there can be some like certain scenarios where the original code can be compiled into a completely different set. Of code that's much more readable, and so I definitely think, yeah, there's you just have to put more effort into it. But you definitely you don't really need to sacrifice readable code to get really good performance. But like performance is basically always a priority. Since if you can't trust Babel for performance, then like that's kind of failed, I guess.
3: I'll be honest, I haven't particularly looked at the output of Babel recently. I have actually at a couple of times recently looked at Tracer. Would you say that Babel in general is still more readable than Tracer or has it gotten to where it's like Tracer is, does some crazy stuff in
2: there yeah so I think actually one of the problems with it, like Babel will try and retain um, new lines like in between code it retains those new lines so if you're separating your code visually to the use of new lines they're retained where like Tracer will just like just blow them all away so your code just looks like one after the other um, it's, so there's no new lines in between no spacing I'm pretty sure this may have changed, but they don't retain comments, which is kind of another big thing. I know in the Angular community, they use it for dependency injection. And so that's another scenario where like just having like readable code and retaining as much about the original code as possible can lead to uh, better utility for the consumers.
3: You know, that's interesting. I didn't realize it was fiddling around with formatting so much. I actually was just talking about just grokking the actual code that Tracer produces, like just looking at it and understanding what the code does. It does some crazy stuff in there that you have to really sit and stare at to try to figure out what in the world it's actually doing. Do you feel like Babel is like
2: that? In some scenarios, I think so. So I've kind of recently with the folks on more performance. um, If the code looks more complex and it's more hard to understand, but it's, much significantly more performant than the more performant route is going to be taken. And at the end of the day, you shouldn't really be learning from transpiled output if that's like one of your goals. Okay, I, I said before about how like the compiled output can change significantly depending on like small structural changes. Um and so you may become misinformed uh if you're learning based on the compiled output. Or if you're just debugging stuff, then that's kind of a pain. But Again, like if you have source maps and that alleviates basically all of or most of the pain.
3: Right. That makes sense. Now you talked before a little bit about Babel heading into this plugin system where it will do all kinds of things. And I know that, you know, right now it does all kinds of stuff like JSX that isn't necessarily a transpilation as we think of it. But that's funny to me because I associate Babel as a plugin into something else. So Babel becoming a plug-in into some other framework that then it has its own plugins
4: it's just it's just plugins all the way down it's plugins
2: all the way down (laughs) (laughs) that's totally it yeah yeah i think i get what you're saying so you see Babel is more something that's built on another platform rather than Babel itself being the platform
3: yeah typically like i use it within webpack or from grunt or gulp
2: oh right yeah I, i guess it kind of yeah it's sort of like that but that was actually like one of the the decisions that like, i knew this was the direction that made most sense for the project and whether or not like creating a new one and then having this set of es6 transforms on top of this and it kind of didn't really make much sense and so like in the next major version of babel basically nothing is going to be enabled by default you're going to have to opt into each transformation sounds familiar
4: <laughs> now, i mean the es lint project's doing the same thing
2: right Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's a much more powerful approach. Um, You're not as opinionated. um, And in order to facilitate like moving like the internal modules out, you end up having to create a really powerful public API that can perform all the same uh, functionality that you were using internally. So not only does your system become much more pluggable, but it also becomes much more stable and powerful as a consequence of just you moving these things out.
4: So, what was one of the ES6 or ES2015 language features that you found the most difficult to implement in a ES, to, you know, from going from 6 to 5? Yeah, which one up- made you
3: curse uh, Yehuda cats?
5: <laughs> this was on my <laughs> list of questions, too. I really wanted to know this.
2: Probably block scoping, so let and const. There's a lot that kind of goes into it, and that's kind of the one transformer or one feature that kind of been iterated on a lot i'm like okay i think i'm done i don't think there's any bugs in this and then i'll be like i'll wait a couple of weeks like oh it's so good like that it's it's stable and then i'll hear something really like fundamentally broken about it and i'll just be like oh shit and then i'll have to go through and rewrite it like i think i've rewritten it probably about like four or five times now mainly just because like the logic becomes so dense and in order to produce like the best output the most clean Yeah, a lot of effort has to go into it and a lot of kind of edge cases need to be handled to output the simplest code.
4: So like with let and constant, you just end up having tons of functions nested.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like even just like wrapping stuff in functions is it seems easy, but then you have to account for what if the thing that you're wrapping has a return in it? What if it returns from the the function? You've just wrapped it in a function. So you then have to propagate that return, but. What if it's a continue? So you're continuing from inside a loop. That has to be done as well. But what if you've got break? That also has to be handled. But then what if you have labels? So labels allow you... Uh, not many... But I, I'm surprised about how like little people know about um, labels in JavaScript. So labels allow you to just like label a loop and then break out of it when you're deeply nested oh, Yeah. Um And so they need to be handled as well. So you end up having to like, re-implement all of this stuff where you're just, like, propagating, like, a whole bunch of stuff. And this is just all consequence of you just, like, wrapping it in a function. Um, (laughs) What about exceptions? Were they hard there, too? Well, exceptions aren't so, like, bad since it's just, like, yeah, it's an immediately invoked in function. There's no, like, async stuff going on. So that kind of just, like, works. But, yeah, I think block scoping has definitely been the one that's been very painful.
4: That sounds really hard. (laughs) Yeah. What about destructuring? Was that hard to do?
2: Not really. I, like destructuring is fairly kind of straightforward in what it turns into. It's some of the semantics of it. Like when, so when you're destructuring using the array destructuring, uh, it can actually take in any iterable object. So that iterable object could be, it could be an array, it could be a generator. And so in order to support that, you kind of have to output some extra code. Babel does that by like inserting little helper functions at the top of your file, and then it uses those. So it's not like outputting the code uh, multiple times. Oh, yeah. Um, so it kind of like punts a lot of that stuff to the runtime, um, mainly because it just can't tell when you're compiling it, like at compile time, what that's going to be. Yeah, so that stuff is fairly straightforward.
4: Just make note, everyone, Sebastian said destructuring was easy. <laughs> that's easy.
3: Do you you find yourself constantly going back with some features and you implement it and then you discover a new use case then you have to change something and then you go through this like 50 times and still waiting for yet one more scenario you didn't
2: think of? It was very much like that at the start of the project when I was still 6 to 5. So the JavaScript language has a specification um, that basically lists how everything should work. It's very specific and when I first started the project, I had no idea how to like read any of that stuff. And I was kind of forced to because people are like, hey, this is your behavior is wrong. Be like, why? Prove it. And then they'll like link to the specification and like be like, oh, this thing does this this does this. And I'll be like, I don't understand this. I, I, I'll <laughs> kind of take your word on it. And so it's kind of forced me to learn how like the specification, how to read the specification. And I feel confident. Now that if I would implement a new feature, I could follow it exactly from the specification to catch all possible cases. So if something just wasn't supported, it didn't work, it would be consequence of just a bug rather than lack of oversight of that specific feature.
4: So do you like read the spec now for fun?
2: Uh, not so much for fun, more like when people <laughs> yell at me that something's broken or not behaving correctly. <laughs> Speaking
4: of the spec, do you ever feel like you're engaged in a Sisyphean task of Doing all this work only to have JavaScript runtime implementers subsume your work by implementing it natively. I mean, eventually every feature of Babel that or Babel, excuse me, that exists today should be obsolete, right? In, the, in when runtimes all pick it up natively.
2: I'm not quite as like pessimistic in like my, my thinking of like a lot of this stuff. So like I guess that kind of goes back to that Babel is more than just like an ES6 compiler. It can do more than that, and Babel is basically always going to be bleeding edge. It's always going to support all the latest and greatest features and all the proposed features before they're basically in any um, native runtime. And not only that, like people are probably going to be supporting older browsers for like to the end of time. There's like a lot of mobile browsers. So, and that they get rarely updated, especially in kind of the more third world countries that have like kind of much older phones Mm -hmm. that might not like it's hard for them to have JavaScript like, on them, let alone like the latest version of Chrome. And so there's always gonna be like room for compiling these down. Uh so I, I don't see it as like a bad thing. Like it's a standard for a reason. It can be implemented in browsers much more performantly. So I, I think Babel has a very like a niche there and it doesn't become irrelevant just because browsers support this stuff.
4: Makes sense.
5: So Cool story that I heard that I think would be interesting to share. You want to tell people how you ended up getting into Babel, why you started writing it?
2: Yeah, so I wrote as a learning project (laughs) when I was finishing school. Yeah.
5: (laughs) You said you just, like, got bored in class and you did this just to, like, stay productive while you were in class or what?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I was finishing my, like, final year exams. Uh, I didn't really like school. Um, It was boring. So, like, when I was in, like, history class, not listening, I was doing babble. Which in at the time it was like really stupid. Like I should have been focusing on my schoolwork, but I was incredibly lucky where it's kind of paid off.
5: Maybe well we
4: don't. have we have your boring teacher to thank.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you.
4: <laughs> yeah.
5: You should just say you're really good at multitasking.
4: <laughs> I wish. That, it sounds like he was single tasking.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <well. laughs> Okay, so one other question I was going to ask, which we started talking about Tracer earlier. I feel like most people know this, but just in case, can you kind of talk about the difference between Tracer and Babel?
2: Yeah, so Tracer is just like just a normal ES6 to ES5 compiler. And so, yeah, Babel is more flexible in the plugins. I've kind of talked a lot about that. But the actual differences between kind of how it transpiles. So Babel supports a much large range of features um so a lot of the latest proposals implemented Babel, they're not necessarily implemented there and a big difference has kind of got a babble toward I, I think his like increased adoption of Babel is like babble's very easy to use the docs are very clear in like how you use it with like your various integrations like your module system your build system um there's plugins for it all to make it as easy as possible like I, I've personally, before I started Babel Six to Five, um, I tried to use like Tracer, and I I just couldn't get it to work. There's a I've seen like a lot of people kind of have the same experience with it. That like it, it's an awesome like project, but it's kind of very hard to use. Um, there's a lack of documentation, and so yeah, that's that's probably the biggest one. And the readable output supporting more, yeah. So those are kind of the big differences I think that sets the projects apart.
4: So you talked about making Babel more pluggable in the future. What other cool features should we be on the lookout for that might be coming down the pipe?
2: So I think there's gonna be like a really big push to like code optimization and minification. I I I think there's like a lot that can be improved on. So it's not kind of about building bigger tools, or not about like I think there needs to be a lot more focused on building better tools in the JavaScript community rather than adding more of them. So I guess like the, this making Babel like really, really good for this kind of stuff. I think, yeah, there's much more that you can do with minification that can have much larger gains than what's currently happening. Uh, and as well as code optimization. So making your code much more performant ahead of time and making trade-offs that the browsers can't necessarily make. Um, so you're like making certain decisions about how your, how your codes execute in order to make more faster. So kind of a lot of stuff like that. And, Yeah, I think both of those are kind of very powerful and haven't really been looked at much in the JavaScript world.
4: Are there any plans to build linting into it?
2: Yeah, so I don't know. I've currently been tossing up between that, actually. So it might appear like linting is kind of massively out of scope for a project like Babel. Oh, like Babel just is a compiler. It shouldn't worry about like linting or checking style. Basically, it comes down to when you're doing code transformations, you need to be doing like... use this process called like static analysis where you're basically checking the code, um, checking what's around it and inferring information just based on what the code looks like. So you're kind of doing the core concept of linting in the first place. And so you're kind of doing a lot of like the linting work already. Most of the API is already there. And so, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I think there has to be a really compelling reason for Babel to do it. I'm kind of tossing up whether or not better integration with something like ESLint would be a good idea or whether just like implementing linting and core makes sense. So yeah, I definitely think there's room for more kind of investigation on that front.
1: So I'm wondering, when does ES 2015 become finalized? Because it's currently in draft, isn't it?
2: Oh uh, yeah, so that was finalized, I think, back in March. Yeah, so basically everything in ES6 is now being standardized. It's official.
1: Okay, so then we're looking at ES 2016 or ES7 or whatever we want to call it.
2: Yeah. So it, as like the name transition from ES6 to ES2015 kind of implies they're starting to go for more of a yearly approach, um, to the specifications, which means that, yeah, every year there's going to be like a new one released. The ES2016 is not going to be as kind of dramatic as ES5 to ES2015, but there'll be much more kind of incremental additions. So. Do you think that these standards are actually going to be
0: implemented by browsers? Because it, it seems like some of the things that have come along, and I don't know if they're still in the spec or not, but some things that have come along, they seemed like a really good idea at the time because that was what was hot and that's what people were doing, um, like observables. And then everybody's kind of like, meh, who cares, you know, six months later.
2: Yeah, so I actually think this is kind of one of the big areas where transpilers kind of play into this, where it allows users and kind of developers to use these features and investigate their practicality and whether or not they should actually be in the specification. So like some people may be saying, Oh ES twenty fifteen, like this feature's crap. It like complete lack of hindsight in how it would be used, or foresight and how it'd be used um in the future and how it interacts with like other language features. But I think, as more people start to use things earlier, we'll see much more like feedback going to the committee and I think browsers are kind of obligated to support this stuff, like if, for example, Firefox implements something, um, and Chrome doesn't, people are going to be just like using like Firefox users will get it, but it just won't work in Chrome. It's kind of a competitive
0: <coughs> Microsoft edge
2: <coughs> <coughs> Android. <coughs> Yeah, definitely. So Microsoft Edge, like implementing basically like everything. Um, So a lot of browsers kind of have to play catch up if they want to stay, like, look uh, to be competitive. And these browser vendors are involved in the committee process. So if they have large objections to it, then they'll raise them. If they don't raise the objections and then decide later, oh, we don't like this, then that's kind of like too late. You had your chance, get over it, basically.
0: Well, I, I actually hope that if there is a major objection after the fact, that they just don't do it. Because if if a browser vendor decides, you know what, that was a dumb idea and we're not going to implement it, then at least you know that it's not going to work everywhere, so you can't use it anyway.
2: <laughs> well, then you'll just use the transpiler. Well, maybe you will. <laughs> well, most people will. Like, if you really want that feature, like you'll transpile it. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's getting to like the it's going to come to the point where you know, just like most people who just like transpiling everything by default, it's just because they don't want to like trust the, the browser support. But then is like, I think it will come to a time where like recently or over like the last few years, companies have been dropping support for like internet Explorer, eight, nine, so on and so forth. And so even like, big companies like Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. They're just dropping support for like all the browsers. And so I think you'll have a baseline and you're, that compile down to that baseline, or like if you want to get like really complicated and kind of advanced, or have a lot more complexity in your system, you'll have different bundles for different browsers um, and serve them independently. Like, oh, you're using those version of Chrome? We know that arrow oh, wow. functions work in that. I'm going to serve you a different script, uh, a different bundle um, that just has arrow functions in it, just plain. They're not transpiled at all. I'm not quite sure. I don't think the average developer so would be we're doing gonna see that. like
0: Apache mod babel babble.
2: babble. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Like I, I don't oh. like at least not like yeah, I don't think most developers are gonna be doing that. I think it's only gonna be like the kind of tech giants almost that can justify having a system that kind of complicated. I know that a lot of like big tech companies are kind of already doing that. Um they ship Different bundles to different browsers, anyway. So adding in like transpiled features, it's not such a big deal. But I think smaller companies, like lone developers, startups, I don't think they're just like not going to bother, and they're just going to compile to that baseline. Uh, maybe like they just can't. You just can't justify the additional complexity, like and like uh, it just becomes like a really big mess.
0: So currently, do you see Babel is more? For something for like, you know, really experimental developers that want to play with new features? Or are you seeing it more as like, this is a production tool that you should be using?
2: Yeah, I definitely think it's, it's this kind of answers as well the the previous question of kind of what separates Babel from Chase. So um, I, I think the marketing has been like a big thing. Um, so Babel has kind of been marketed since day one. To be something production ready that you can use in your applications with confidence. Uh, and I guess that also ties back to the performance thing. Um, if you're using a production, you care about performance. And, and so optimizing for those use cases, uh, I think Tracer is also kind of being marketed as like some, a bit more experimental, whereas in Babel, yeah, has been pushed to be production ready from day one. Cool.
4: And the end. <laughs> is there anything we should have asked you that we haven't? Oh, TypeScript. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. And JSX. <laughs> and oh, Angular
2: yeah. 2. Oh, yeah.
4: <laughs> so, TypeScript? Yes,
5: tell us your thoughts on TypeScript.
2: <laughs> yeah, so TypeScript. Uh, I shouldn't have said it like that. So I love <laughs> TypeScript, actually. Um, the Babel team is kind of very, uh, communicates a lot with um, kind of Jonathan Turner, who's um, the head of TypeScript. And so I, in, in the future, I see more collaboration between the two projects. Um, definitely since they're not really in, like, Competition with each other. So TypeScript kind of like the scope kind of overlaps with Babel a bit, but TypeScript does type checking and it just happens to have like a transpiling component to it. And so you can use like Babel as that transpiling component and use TypeScript for the type checking. Like I, there's a lot, like I hear a lot like, oh, Babel versus TypeScript, like, oh, uh, TypeScript is just ES6 with types. Uh, it, it's, not really the difference between like the way babel transpiles es6 and the way typescript does is that typescript is much much more lenient on how it transpiles it they're a lot less spec compliant so they've they've made trade-offs in that i haven't they haven't been made in babel for one reason or another
4: how much of your personal time is spent on babel right now
2: Uh, all your time really I guess like that actually ties back into how Babel is kind of developed. So yeah, I started out like in my free time. And then basically ever since I started it, it's kind of been like that where I'll just like spend the afternoons or weekends working on it. But recently I've joined Facebook where I'll be working partly to or mostly to kind of develop and maintain Babel which gives me a lot more focus and time to do this kind of stuff. Since mostly like my personal time is in like consumed by Babel, kind of shifting that um, where I'll be able to work on other things, in my spare time, um, other projects. Like I don't really have time for like other open source projects since I'm spending like all my time maintaining Babel. And so, yeah, I see, yeah, I'm really excited for that and I'm really excited to be able to spend more time um making Babel as stable as possible and as powerful as possible.
4: Is there any chance we'll see you joining TC39?
2: Uh, no idea.
1: <laughs> well,
4: you got my vote.
1: <laughs> Thanks. Before we get to picks, I want to take some time to thank our silver sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Code School. Code School offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student to level up your development skills. Go to javascriptjabber.com/codeschool. This episode is sponsored by TrackJS. Let's face it, errors cost you money. You lose customers, server resources, and time to them. Wouldn't it be nice if someone told you when and how they happened so you could fix them before they cost you big time? You may have this on your backend application code, but what about your front-end JavaScript? It's time to check out TrackJS. It tracks errors and usage and helps you find bugs before your customers even report them. Go check them out at trackjs.com. All right. Uh, Joe, do you want to start us off with picks?
3: You betcha. I have one main pick today. And that is that I'm going to be doing some training on Angular for a company called Primitive.io. And it's, like, in a month. It's a two-day virtual classroom training scenario, like six hours each day for a couple of days. And it's, like, limited class size. I'm actually really excited being able to teach a class and being able to interact with students rather than just speaking in front of, you know, a ton of people. So I'm pretty... Pretty excited about it. Good way to level up your Angular 1 skills. You can register at primitive.io, and I think they're offering a heavily discounted rate right now for the class. So that's my main pick. My second pick is going to be the book Armada, which I feel weird picking it because I've been reading it. I'm about 20% of the way through, and I'm completely bored. But I know that if I power through that I will like it. I don't know if any of you guys (laughs) that... loved Ready Player One, have gotten farther in. I'm really disappointed with how he started out the book. The first 20% is really slow. But I believe in the author because Ready Player One was so awesome. So I'm going to pick it anyway.
1: All right. AJ, do you have some picks for us?
0: I do. So I will pick just two things today. One, I have been listening to dale carnegie's how to win friends and influence people and if you know me you know that it will probably have zero effect because when you multiply anything by zero you still get zero
4: now i was about to ask if you've been reading that because i felt you know very friendly around you
1: (laughs) (laughs) and influenced
4: yeah i felt influenced
1: oh that's good
4: or bad or or what it is
0: anyway So I'm going to pick that. I I think it's in my top five of books, like self-help type books that that a person should read, uh, along with Innovator's Solution and Influencer Power to Change Anything. And uh, I don't know what other two I would put in there. Maybe Color Code for fun, just for fun, not for... It's just pop psychology. Anyway, and then... In case you haven't heard which you haven't heard, there's a new podcast in town, Web Security Warriors. And if we're lucky, that should go up on devchat.tv around the same time as this episode, I think, maybe?
1: Uh, I might I might be able to confirm that, yes. So
0: check that out. I think we still need to put a an intro and outro kind of sound clip to it, and then the first episode will be ready to go. And that's, that's my picks for today.
1: Yeah, so if you want to learn more about web security, check out Web Security Warriors. If you don't think you need to learn more about web security, then definitely check out Web Security Warriors. Amy, do you have some picks for us?
5: I do. Uh, Mine is kind of another plug slash pick. So uh, I think it was two weeks ago, I picked November, and that's going to be my pick again this week because it's back in Nashville where I went to my boot camp. I absolutely love Nashville. So if you're looking for a conference to attend in November about Node and JavaScript, I would check out November. And that's it for me.
1: All right. Dave, have we heard your picks yet?
4: No, you haven't, but you will if you want to. Probably so, even
1: if we don't want to.
4: Yeah, yeah you're going to hear him one way or another, but just you know, you, I guess you could press the plus 15 seconds button on your phone right now a couple times and you'll probably be happier. Anyway, no, you won't be happier. You'll be very sad. So here's what I've got for you today. I'd like to pick up an oldie but a goodie called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, one of my favorite books of all time. And I picked it up again and started reading it and just remembered why I love Douglas Adams so much. Uh, huge fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And then the second pick is actually a two-part pick i would like to pick yellowstone national park which if you haven't been to yellowstone national park and you can you owe it to yourself to check it out i went this weekend with my family what an incredible weird place full of cool i mean just crazy cool stuff you should definitely check it out i can't think of a better time than when you're going to be in town for react rally at the end of august here and about well when this podcast comes out it'll be three weeks away You owe it to yourself to get an extra day, drive four and a half hours up to Yellowstone and check out that park while you're here for React Rally.
1: Those are my picks. Very cool. I've got a couple of picks uh, just really quickly. As many of you know, I have launched Rails Clips and I did a Kickstarter campaign to get it going and I promised backers who backed at a certain level that I would do them a favor. So my two picks this week are favors. Uh, The first one is if you are interested in learning Angular and you live in Switzerland, There is a course out there taught by uh, Daniel Egger, and I'm sure I said that not German enough. Anyway, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, Definitely go check it out if you're looking to learn Angular. The other one is a longtime follower. He actually did interviews of all the Ruby Rogues several years ago. His name's Tom Parkin, and he's looking for a job. So uh, he's been programming for, he said, since before the original Star Wars movies, which means that he's been programming longer than I've been breathing he's been doing DOD contracts and he's kind of looking for something else. So if you know of some work and you're looking out for that, um, go ahead and check the show notes. Um, he's parking that's P A R K I N T on Twitter. So, uh, yeah, let him know. And yeah, those are my, uh, two picks this week. Sebastian, what are your picks?
2: Uh, so I've got two. Um, uh, so the novel, the Martian by, uh, Andy so good. Weir. yeah, awesome. I, Barely ever read, but I started reading it, and I read it in one sitting. It's being made into a movie, but you should definitely read the book. And my second pick was I tried Five Guys for the first time yesterday, and it was amazing. Whoop, whoop. So, five Guys love those burgers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> made your life better, didn't it?
2: Definitely. Where? Where? Pick.
1: Which location?
2: London. Oh, they um, are expanding. Yeah. De- yeah, they've actually got like quite a few locations in the UK, actually.
4: Oh, nice. Just my humble opinion, best burgers on earth, even better than the ones I make.
1: (laughs) Yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for coming, Sebastian. It was fun to talk about ES6, 2015, whatever it is, and Babel. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll catch you all later. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot ycom to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.